Hello, my name's Fleur Emery. Welcome to the award-winning Real Work podcast. Real Work is my online membership that democratizes business learning for women. We create content and community that will improve your confidence, knowledge and network by around 50% in as little as three months. And we know that because we've been measuring the data. The Real Work podcast brings you loose and lively conversations, very lively at times, <laughs> with women who have taken the women's work rule book and ripped it up and sometimes even used it for hamster bedding. We're here to show you what's possible for you in your own career. So have a good listen and enjoy. Now, let's find out who's coming up on today's episode. This week on the Real Work Podcast, we welcome Leah Satter. Leah is co-founder, along with Roshni Goyati, of The Other Box, an award-winning diversity and inclusion company that educates businesses on bias and educated my business and me on my bias, which was uncomfortable and pretty necessary, it turns out because there was a lot more there than I realised. Today, we'll be unpacking a bit of that, a bit of how their business has grown in the pandemic and what the future holds, and a bit on pet ownership at the end. So, enjoy. Wow, that might be the slickest start don't to a podcast. Don't say that, don't say that, it'll go wrong. I don't know what to expect. I usually get questions. I'm now like, I'm just like, oh God, perhaps then let's wing it. Well, let's go. Well, what, what happens. Well, shall I tell you our, our um, approach is to start recording before the guest is ready <laughs> <laughs> and um, create a sense of relaxed intimacy with a, by kicking a few jokes around um, in order to unnerve and unbalance the guests and then go in for the kill okay. with an incredibly insightful sort of Jeremy Paxman level question, which then is so revealing and insightful that we get awards and are covered in glory. Yeah, congratulations. That's amazing. Thank you. You definitely need a podcast, don't you? I mean, it's, it's only a matter of time. Yeah, it's in the works. That's all I can say for now. Is it? <laughs> Good. So let's introduce you, Leah. You are the co-founder of The Other Box, which is a diversity education business, which is thriving. Thank you. And um, we, what did you do before that? Before you started The Other Box, you, you were in events, weren't yeah, you? Yeah, well, I, I was basically a design manager, but I also worked a lot in community growth um, as well. So my, I guess... My trade was in graphic design. That's what I graduated in from university. So I worked very much in the creative industries before starting the other box. But yeah, I guess it was like design as well as um, community building. And did you, were you friends with Roshni, your co-founder? No. So we actually met an, at an event in uh, September, 2016. And that's kind of like how the other box started. We kind of knew of each other. So we had um, a mutual friend who was like, you two need to meet, you two need to meet. But we never ended up like meeting. And then, yeah, this one event she came to, um, ironically, it was a diversity event that wasn't very diverse. And that's kind of like how the whole relationship kind of kick-started. Were you the only 
brown women pretty there. much but also as well ironically on the panel um it was quite a big panel it was around six or seven people there was like five white women maybe like one black man and one white man um and there was no representation of women of color on the panel or in the audience apart from me and Roshni and I guess that was kind of like the enough is enough moment that we had and then we went to a coffee shop afterwards and I was like let's do something I don't know what it's going to be but let's do something and here we are now going to make something happen were you living in london yeah so i've been in london 11 years now i moved here for university at 19 to study right yeah um went to london metropolitan when i was 19 and then yeah been here 11 years and you grew up in Oldham well I was born in Oldham but yeah I grew up in Rochdale which is like the neighboring town to Oldham how did you find that out you've done your research (laughs) I did actually do lots of research because we were going to record on Friday and um, I made all these notes I had these incredible questions and then I accidentally have recycled them okay (laughs) so So I'm a little bit on the hoof today, but I feel like I know you well because we have people in common. Also, um, I was a little bit rushed because I was going to do a bit more research to refresh my memory. And I went to put the headphones on and I couldn't find the headphones. I could only find these. Oh, wow. <laughs> what on That's earth amazing. is that? What's that? <laughs> <laughs> what is this thing I put on my face? So yeah, I couldn't find the headphones, which are vital to my business. I could only find my weird um, LED anti-aging goggles from Los Angeles that I bought on the internet at about 2am. It was one of those. They look very fun, very Star Trek. Yeah, they're from Dr. Dennis Gross in Beverly Hills. (laughs) And he's one of those plastic surgeons in the region who is of an indeterminate age. No one really knows his age. His skin is very taut (laughs) all over like that. And I just thought, yeah, I'm going to go for it. (laughs) Even though um, the business is not making any money, well, not paying me, but it's making money, but it's yeah. not paying me. Um, I just felt like that was a great value exchange. So that's why I don't have my questions. But I do feel like I know you because I am an yeah, other boxer. Well, in terms of I've um, really enjoyed, well, not enjoyed, I mean, I've really benefited from your work let's describe it a little bit for people who haven't haven't been in your orbit it started actually just as an instagram page when you said right we're going to do something that's a great way to start something because you started from you know an an experience that you'd had you were full of passion you knew it was real because you were living it and so you said well let's just start by that's really much how it all started and you know it was an instagram page we set up the website um also other social media profiles as well and really it was about just having conversations because we knew we weren't the only ones feeling like this the idea of feeling like we didn't belong in the industry or you know really wanted to challenge the diversity and inclusion conversation to go just beyond gender um and gender being very binary we knew we weren't the only ones who were wanting to challenge that so yeah, it started off as kind of just having these conversations and building that sense of community. And then, you know, the way that we exist today is very different to that. So now we are educators within the space. And ultimately, you know, um, you mentioned at the beginning around, you know, diversity, equity and inclusion, but ultimately it's about making people happy, feel more connected, understanding their sense of self. So like that personal and professional development as well. And that's really how we work with companies and also, you know, planning the works as well to really work with our community to upskill them too. And when it comes to emotional intelligence, so that it can ultimately be happier people too. So that's kind of like the business that we're in. Shall I tell you the effect that it's had on me? Yes, please do. 
So I'm centering myself. Do you see that? <laughs> you have the awareness to it. So that's the first I step. I know that now, yeah. <laughs> but it is also um, in order to um, further communicate, like from a, from a client customer point of view, like the change I experienced was that um, the approach is so that you take is knowledgeable, but informal and pacey. So you don't get really bogged down in in the difficult stuff, but you keep it moving. But you're not afraid to confront difficult things and sort of lay it down. And you and you talk about we instead of like the them and us. So what that enabled me to do was to go from defensive white female cisgendered privilege. What like no, but you know my I I got some African cousins, yeah. which I do. You know from that. You, you know, that's my get out of jail free yeah. card, you know, or like my best friend is gay. Going from that to through the sort of smack bum face of what do you mean? What do you mean I'm racist? <laughs> to actually saying, yeah, yeah, actually, that's me. I've got that. Yeah, I've got that. Oh, I need to do work on that. And that it's it seems so small, but it's actually massive. Because once someone gets to that place of saying, yeah, I, yeah, I am racist. I have racist tendencies. You know, I was raised in this certain way and I'm trying to look at that and it keeps, you know, coming up. Once you get to that place, it's like you don't have anything to hide. You don't have anything to be found out. Before, the defensiveness for me was about the sense of, like, being found out. Yeah. Do you know what yeah, I mean? So it, it kind of it opens the doors up and just shines the light. And it's just, yeah, we're only human and... We, you know, we know a bit better now. Times have changed. All right, Dad, it was different when you were a kid. That's fine. You know, but now this is what we're going to say. This is what we're going to talk about. These are the words that people say cause harm. Yeah. So just accept that. Yeah, and how to have those conversations as well. I think for us, it was always about how can we make this whole conversation more accessible, less academic, less kind of finger pointy, less kind of... Um, yeah blame and shame focus but really bring it down to the everyday experience that we have as human beings and actually you know thank you so much for sharing that feedback because ultimately that was our goal with the training that we've created and the work that we do with people I think a lot of people especially like we we're kind of at the moment pigeonholed into this DNI space but DNI isn't this abstract thing that lives out here in fact it's the things that we have to commit to on a daily basis and it's all based on us as human beings and how we're treating other human beings and I think that's really our goal with our training is actually how can we bring these really abstract things really into the into the body into the human experience with other humans and making sure that when we're you know when we think about where we spend our money and what we watch on tv we're really critically engaged as to how is this upholding oppressive systems is this challenging my way of thinking am I being more open-minded and if not how can I open my heart and my mind and that that's really our goal with the work that we do there's there's something in there as well which is really interesting about you know we are what we think we are what we pay attention to in terms of there's um acknowledging our attraction to certain things Okay, so we can use the Daily Mail, for example, like scrolling at other people's suffering, other people's, you know, long lens photographs of people on holiday. You know, if they're having a row or something, we think, yeah, good, they're having a row. Their life isn't so perfect. And um, instead of just saying, I would never look at that, it's very damaging and harmful. It's, It's dreadful, like acknowledging that something inside me as a human is getting fed by that. 
And sometimes with some things, as people were attracted to different versions of that, like so some people get interested in um, sexual things or internet things or conspiracy things or racist things, whatever it is, and we have different proclivities, different tendencies. And for me, I have to just practice putting certain things down. Like last night was a brilliant example. I was um, quite tired. I'd done, had this brilliant few days with my kid but I'd like worked hard I'd worked hard to give her a good time I'd stayed really present we'd done yoga we'd been done meditation I thought oh my god I'm like the perfect mum so I deserve some filth it's so weird like a reward and I watched a program on Netflix a drama which was some slick American thriller and the central character was a woman who was like very beautiful attractive sex mm. worker and it was showing me a story which was completely nonsense, complete nonsense about how much she was kind of enjoying what was happening to her with all these weird, horrible things. And so somehow she's controlling the situation like some kind of Sharon Stone kind of bitch kind of, you know, um, stereotype. It was really horrible. And then I had a really bad dream. Oh, God, okay. And I felt up and I just woke up and I just felt like really... Like I'd done something yucky, like I'd done something bad. Yeah. And it's like, I feel like what I'm saying is that these things go in cycles. It's not linear, isn't it? We don't just progress and then transcend. And like, I'm not racist anymore. I'm, I'm done. You know, I'm not attracted. You know, I still don't have those sorts of feelings. Like I'm still up and down. Yeah. And I go, on a, I go on a high when I clean up an area of my life and I just think, wow, you know, I'm really on top of things at the moment. I feel really connected and I'm feeling really well. And then suddenly something like that happens and I just think, oh, what was that about? Do you know what? The way that we describe it at the other box really is this journey is without end. And, you know, we have a full sort of part cycle where you examine, you unlearn, you relearn, and then you take action and you keep going along this cycle every time you learn something new. And I think also it's important to remember that we all have our individual model of the world. And this is something that I really learned about when I was doing my hypnotherapy course and actually what influences and impacts how we perceive other people as well. And what's interesting is that we assume that people are on our wavelength and that they have the same understanding as us as, yeah. because they speak the same language, they work at the same place, they follow the same people on social media, but it's all impacted by our model of the world, which is influences from our primary caregivers, so our parents, our partners, our close friends, our community, the people that we follow on social media, the societies that we're a part of. And actually all this is layered and in fact and impacting our biases and how we treat other people too. So this is really why it's important in this work that we need to be raising our awareness as to who we are, what those influences are, and how can we be challenging those because they're all informed by oppressive systems. So, for example, especially with the, um, I'm not sure about the show that you that you watched, but actually the narrative around sex work, there's, always, there's such a limited view towards sex workers. And actually a lot of the shows that we're given to watch and the books that we read perpetuate further stereotypes about that, which actually cause more harm because they're feeding our biases towards certain groups. So actually with raising our self-awareness, it's actually where can I be seeking more information and learning about the sex work experience from actual sex workers rather than what this... I don't know, male director, who I'm just assuming um, yeah, was, share, yeah. right? And I think that's interesting. What's, what's fascinating about that, Leah, is um, my arrogance, <laughs> because when I graduated from university, I worked in a charity with um, young women and men in the sex industry. Mm. So I had two years face-to-face -face in service delivery, 
20 years ago. So no other downloads since. Yeah. But because of that, yeah, I've got that covered. I'm an expert on that, actually. Yeah, that's so. No, 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 I know. I actually, you know, I used to work helping. I helping the young women who are in that situation. Like, it's like the, the, the superiority yeah. and the arrogance about like, yeah, I know. So, Florimree, if you're such an expert on that, why did you stay up till 11 o'clock watching that on Netflix? Why didn't you switch off a bit soon? Yeah. It's like, it's so interesting, that kind of the assumptions that we make about, you know, humility. We're talking about, we're talking about ego deflation, aren't we? Yeah. In that situation, deflating the ego so that, that can get out of the way and we can be open to our, to the wisdom that's already yeah, there. Yeah, but you know what's really interesting? I think a lot, everybody kind of functions from that, even if you are from a marginalized group as well. So, you know, a lot of the things that we hear is, oh, but I have a black partner or I have children of color yeah. or, you know, my, my, my sister's disabled or whatever it may be, or yeah. even from the communities themselves, oh, well, I'm, I'm marginalized and that's really it. So actually by understanding the individual layers of privilege that we all have, and actually we are kind of, yeah. forget yeah. this is not the right term, but the blind spots that we have as to other marginalized groups and how can we be upholding everybody, that's really where we want to be focusing on. And I think for so many people, they think that, oh, well, just because I have um, a partner of color, tick i'm done i know i know all about racism yeah. but actually you only know about yeah. one experience and really how are you upholding the system of white supremacy by not questioning what you've learned the histories that we're told the um the stereotypes that are so internalized without having that awareness you're actually just doing more harm than good and we really saw that especially over the last year with the uprising of black lives matter is that a lot of people they wanted to jump straight into action what can i do to be an ally what can you tell me how can i be an effective ally but really, this is why we really encourage you to stop, take a step back, examine how you're upholding white supremacy and oppress other oppressive systems, unlearn, relearn, and then take action. So it's actually coming from a more informed place. But I think for a lot of people, they either they want to help, but they don't know how to start, or they there is, there is this kind of arrogance about, actually, I've got that covered. I read a book. I read this book one time about racism. Yeah. I know everything about yeah. it. Or, you know, my yeah. I know someone who's disabled, so got that cleared. But that's not the case. In fact, there are so many narratives that we should always be exposing ourselves to, to always challenge our thinking, to make sure that we are challenging the system, but also challenging ourselves too and how we are potentially causing harm to other human beings too. Does that make sense? It really makes sense. And um, it really strikes me when you speak, Leah, how... Um, fluid and eloquent you are on this subject when did that start like when when did when you were when you were cross with um Roshni saying right (laughs) we're going to sort this out and you sort of went live with all your comms and started talking how when did this happen slowly that you became this adept when me and Roshni started the other box around that time in 2016 it was really much focusing on how can we celebrate and champion and shine a spotlight on people who exist within this industry rather than kind of how do we challenge and educate? Right, yeah. So it did so in a way it wasn't coming from um outrage and um activism. It was coming of you were it was a creative yeah. solution and based much thing. because of our like so, yeah, because of our background. She was a copywriter, yeah, and yeah, I'm she's a, a writer and yeah. I was a designer by trade as well. So it that's really much kind of informed it. And then the following year after we started that's when we started we did our first workshop which was beginning to like educate people 
And, you know, Roshni has a master's in this too. But even in my own journey, I was reflecting on this a few weeks ago. I've always been, I've always called out things that haven't been serving me or communities that I'm a part of as well, or other communities too. Like even through school, I was reflecting on that or college, the communities that I was Mm -hmm. a part of. So you've always been like this. And that you have, there's a talent for not, this is a really interesting one. I have to unpick this a bit. I was going, what I was going to say is when you educate, because I've been on receiving end of your education, I don't feel like I'm being told off. That's a goal. Good. <laughs> Good to know. And that's, that, which is, but that's really interesting because obviously the people in my seat yeah. who need to learn, that's one of our first places yeah. we go to, right? Defensiveness. And is that something planned or is that you're just your natural vibe because you're creative and you're, you know, you're, that's, that's, you might be not. You're just not telling me off, so it doesn't no, feel like. That's a I'm really you off. interesting question. Is it planned? Are you pandering to my, um, you know, ego by doing that? Is it is it a strategy? No, not at all. I think really it's just also comes from our lived experiences of when your mum's telling you off. Do you really listen to what she's trying to yeah, say? No, you definitely don't. You definitely don't. And I think for us, it's about how can we meet people where they are, understanding that everybody's on their own path and on and their own journey too. Yeah. I can't assume just because you've read three books that you're at a certain level, because again, it's informed by your model of the world and the influences that you have from the minute that you're born up until now and all the experiences that you've had. So where can we meet you? where you're open to listening. And again, it goes back to open heart and open mind. And, you know, like we, I think from the very beginning, we were very conscious about creating training that wasn't finger pointy or made people feel any sort of blame or shame, but understanding actually we're all complicit within the system. As a South Asian woman from a working class background and a single parent family unit, I am complicit within upholding white supremacy because it's all I've ever known. And actually the way that, I mean, you probably know this, Flair, but in the training, we describe it as the white supremacist, cis-hetero-ableist patriarchy. And actually it's yeah. important to name it as its full entirety. And actually how is this upholding certain groups of people and actually marginalizing other groups of people too? So, you know, as a cisgendered person, how have I been complicit in the marginalization to trans people? And actually how can I be listening and learning and actually amplifying those voices within the work that I do and the platform that I do have? And it's... It's, it's constantly raising your awareness to it. And actually, you know, when we first started, um, the other box kind of strap line was um, celebrating and championing people of color and those from other minorities. Because for us, again, it was really important to not look at race in a silo, but really race and race in its relation yeah, to yeah. sexuality and um, disability and class and all of the other sort of um, kind of social barriers that people experience too, and really look at it holistically. So that's, We've been doing this work for since the very beginning. Um, but I guess for us, it was about making sure that we we want people to listen, we want people to learn. So actually, if we make them feel shit about it, they're not going to do any of those things. You're right. Um, what you know, what you're saying about the way the way I hear that is it's like saying we're helping people to see the world and the system as it is, just yeah. like life on life's terms. Yeah. So, for example, the trans thing. We did an episode, a trans awareness episode, which was amazing, with um, a friend of mine who transitioned, is a, is a trans woman. And, yeah, we talked about our friendship throughout that journey. So, again, I thought, yeah, I've done a bit of work on that. And then I watched a programme on Netflix the other week. 
I'm not advertising Netflix, by the way. <laughs> and um, it showed the history of how um, trans and genderqueer people had been shown in films. Yeah. Disclosure. The, the one, yes, it's incredible. Yeah. The one about um, who's the man with the rubbery face who does the pet detective, Ace Ventura pet detective. Oh, yeah. That was like my ki- my f- sister's favourite movie in the 90s and we thought that was harmless. And the whole, yeah. have, you, have you seen that film, Buckers? Do you remember it from your childhood and think, do you just remember, oh yeah, that was a funny film? I remember the cartoon more than the film. So I can't quite pinpoint... The denouement, the hilarious ending, the massive big thing that it goes to is that he's been kissing or something, someone who he thinks is a woman, and then finds out that it's a man and starts vomiting. Mm. It was a trans woman, yeah. Yeah, and it it was just like so... It's so ingrained. It was so ingrained. And then they just kept showing all my favourite movies. Yeah, it's everywhere. It was like, I really thought that I wasn't anything to do with that one. (laughs) And I was just like, oh, yeah, I really laughed at that. I really laughed. This is how ingrained it is. Even the language that we use, you know, the thoughts that we have, the sort of... um, even that sort of lingering stare that we we, we have with someone on the tube where we're trying to figure out who are they and their gender identity, like... Those are all microaggressions. It's all part of the system as well. And that's what I mean when when I say we're all complicit. We've all grown up with these narratives, with these kind of them being the butt of the joke. It's disgusting. And when you start to unpick it... It's such a good film, isn't it? Yeah. You should recommend people watch that film. This kind of work is why it's so gross is because you're having to really look at parts of yourself as to where where have I been kind of transphobic? Where have I been homophobic? You know... I remember growing up, you know, I grew up in a northern town. We used to say gay all the time. You're so gay. That's gay. And it's so, when I think about it now, I'm, I wish I could go back and slap myself. But again, we're complicit within the system. It's, we, this is why it's so important to unlearn and then relearn from the actual communities that we've caused harm to. Parenting styles come in to this as well, because parenting has changed a lot from when I grew up. And there's sort of, I like this thing that Seema talks about a lot about um, there's no good and bad, there's just sort of context. And so, for example, I grew up in the 70s and 70s parenting was very hands-off, which was great. We had a lot of freedom to experience risk and experience ourselves and, um, you know, not be monitored, which was amazing in lots of ways. But the downside is that it was kind of Lord of the Flies out there. And what you're describing, language like that, you know that was flying around and it and now i have con- i have conversations with my kid who's 6 about that stuff and you say well that word doesn't seem much to you but what if you were someone who thought that they might love girls instead of boys and you heard someone saying that what would that yeah. feel like and so it's kind of like the the downside of the hands-off parenting was that it was quite wild and woolly out there like for kids who are growing up in communities where they felt different it was quite hard not wild and woolly that's a complete euphemism it was terrifying and dangerous actually yeah and I I wasn't one of them right (laughs) because I was living in a community where people knew my family and you know where I had a lot of privilege and ultimately if something went really wrong and, you know, something went down and the police came, they'd look after me. They'd take me home. I knew that. Yeah. 
and there's like those kind of levels of safety net. It's um, you um, when you were talking a moment ago, you reminded me of my best question that got recycled. <laughs> so should we go in for I'm it? Ready. Let's go in for it. <laughs> Was that I've experienced some. Um, you know, in my role at the real work, I, I have a sense of sort of leadership and a community. Like I have a responsibility for people. You know, this is why I've been very motivated to get a lot better in this area. Um, but the people in your community, the subjects that you address are much more um, personal. And there's a there's a lot of pe- people who have experienced that situation I just described. So they come to your place needing a safe place m- more and ha- may have different expectations of what that looks like. And the, as you said earlier, their own um, experience of what they went through is all different depending on you know, who they were and what their own privileges were and what their own... It's quite a it's quite a heady mix, isn't it? It's quite that's a lot with you in the middle of it. Does it ever overwhelm you and just like blow up? Yeah, there definitely is um, overwhelm there as well. And I think you know we the other box has been a lot of things to a lot of different people in different ways. Yeah. And actually, for a lot of people, um, the community space is a, is a space of solace. And, you know, we used to describe ourselves as a safe and inclusive space. But actually, as time went on and the conversations were beginning to develop and, you know, sometimes there would be some sort of, like, conflict in the, in the spaces as this well. That's what I mean, right? Yeah. It made me realise that actually we can't control what's safe to people and what's inclusive all yes. we can do is provide the space to have those conversations and to share resources and to uplift one another, but then also make sure that we're very clear about our own guidelines as to who is prioritized in this group, who are the voices that will always be prioritized, and actually how, again, can we meet people where they're all at? So we can't just assume that as if you're a black person or a person of color, that you automatically have a full understanding of white supremacy and how it and the system, uh, how it plays in our day-to-day or you know, you have an understanding of transphobia or ableism or whatever it may be. We can't just assume that because everybody's coming into that space with their own kind of baggage, emotional baggage of pain, of trauma, of oppression. So all we can do is just create a space, be very clear about our guidelines and support people how we can. But yeah, it's definitely been a learning journey for me, especially as a kind of community builder of, you know, the work that I did before wasn't focused so much on pain, oppression and trauma. It was about female founders. It was about um, freelancers. It was about... um, Yeah, that's where I am. We can talk about that later. It's easier. It's a Um, lot easier. (laughs) But, you know, like, and then actually creating a space and actually, you know, my hands, putting my hands up here, like when I, when I set up the top community in 20... um, I think at the end of 2017, it was because I needed that space. I needed to build a community and I needed to know that I wasn't alone doing this work too. And, you know, I've changed as a person, the business is changing, you know, and I think it's about how can I communicate as clearly as possible as a community leader and also um, be on my own path as well. And I think that's where the education comes in. So again, how can we empower our community to move out of this pain body of their kind of being consumed by pain and the trauma that they've gone through and the different oppressive systems, but really upscale them into being happier, more integrated. Um, yeah, human beings. 
Would I be right in saying that part of the bind in that situation you describe is that the way out is also something that's been used against people? So basically, what you're describing, out, you know, growing out of the pain body is growing out of a state of experiencing oneself as a victim. Yeah. So what you're ask, what you're saying is, I'll help you not to feel like a victim, and then, but that rings, that rings with some dangerous bells because that's bully talk. As I would say yeah. to my six year old, it's like, don't be a victim. That's bully talk, and that's what people who victimise you have said yeah. to you. So there's a kind of, there's that's a that's a difficult puzzle. Yeah, I think that's why we really want to make sure that. Ultimately, we just want people to be happier and um, understand their limitations, their privileges, but also how can we be advocating for all human beings as well as, as well as ourselves? How can we uplift each other? And that comes through education, which is a lot of the work that we're doing and focusing on for the next year is going to be really focusing on as to how can we upskill you so you can achieve what you want to achieve and be really clear about how to do that too. And, you know, it's not going to be easy, but as long as we're true to who we are and what we stand for as a business, as well as people, I feel like we're in a good place to be able to do that. I'm wanting all people to be happier. On a personal note, um, you'd like all beings to be happier. Am I right? All beings. Yeah. Yeah, you're an animal lover in a big way. I lo- yeah. Yes, I do love animals. I, I am right. A little bit of research there. <laughs> yeah, you see, we know what we're doing. We seem very loose and unprofessional, but actually, <laughs> it's a very insightful broadcast. Yeah, no, I'm a big animal lover. And when I was younger, I wanted to be a zookeeper. <laughs> Until you realised that all animals should be free. <laughs> Exactly, exactly. Um, Which I, yes. Even the, we were in the goldfish shop. Yeah, we've got a, an aquarium shop at the end of my road which my kid loves. She's really hypnotised by it and we go in there and have a good look around and never buy anything. And, um, yeah, I have to remind her of that when we leave. Mum, can we get that fish? We could, darling, but unfortunately all animals should be free. <laughs> the um, Buckers is a big animal lover. Do you know, actually, what I've been really enjoying recently is um, a lot of dog behavioral, I can't even say it, behavioral programs. Um, it's that one called K9 on Netflix, and there's one on Disney Plus as well. And it's fascinating in terms of like dog training. And actually, humans aren't much different, but there's a massive part of ego that plays into it as well. And um, I've always been fascinated about how human beings work and how the mind works. And yeah, I'm absolutely loving it. <laughs> Are you a dog owner? No, but I will be one day. <laughs> I'm a former dog owner, so I obviously feel like I'm an expert on all things dog. Okay, well, I'll come to you for the tips. Well, no, I mean, the dog is completely untrained and lived like the Sultan of Brunei and got everything he wants. I spent my whole time brushing him and he slept on a, um, you know, 200 quid cushion. I just spent the whole time saying, would you like a little something, my <laughs> darling? That's ridiculous. That's one of those people. So it's probably best I don't have a dog. Fair. Okay. And um, (laughs) Roshni, your co-founder, she's not in London anymore. No. So me and Seema, so Seema's our other business um, partner. She's, me and her are holding the fort down in London. And Roshni, she's now in Muscat, which is in Oman. I I looked it up on um, Google Earth. Oh, you found it then? (laughs) Yeah, I did. Because I didn't really know where it was. 
And then I realised that that wasn't great. It was quite racist. So um, I now know a bit about the area and it's really historic and amazing and it's going to be a big contrast for her. Yeah, it looks absolutely stunning. But I think she used to, she was coming and going because that's where her um, husband's family are. So she was coming and going quite a lot. Um, but yeah, she made the permanent move in September and now we're just adjusting to her life being out there and us being here. Are you a sociable person? You used to work in events. Yeah, I, do you know what? I think the pandemic showed me that I do like my own space. And I guess I'm kind of like an amniovert. So I'm kind of a little bit introverted, a little bit extroverted. I can dial it up when I need to, which is quite a good skill to have, I think. On your um, CV, apart from the fact that um, Forbes and everyone think you're <laughs> relevant and under 30 or something, there's um, a whole long list of really swishy companies you've done talks for. Yeah, there is. <laughs> do you like that side? Do you like being on a big stage? And I all love the... the sound of my own voice. What can I say? You do? And a lanyard <laughs> and all that kind of stuff. Me too. Which is your favourite? What, my favourite talk I've ever done? Yeah, like what was your moment? Your, this is my moment. Okay. You just thought, right, I'm here, I've arrived. There's two. So there's one. My favourite, okay, there's two. So the top, no, I can't even describe, I can't even um, put them into some sort of hierarchical position. So... One moment was... Joint first. Yeah, joint first. Um, one was when I was flown out to Switzerland to do a keynote. That was my first keynote solo um, in front of... That's really like, fancy. Yeah, 200 women. I'd never been to Switzerland before. It was stunning. Um, and I was really nervous because it was the first time I'd been on stage by myself and doing a keynote by myself. Um, so I made everyone do a power pose with me before I started. <laughs> with Seema out there staying yeah, with Roger Federer. Too. It was so fun. <laughs> yeah, me and Seema on the road, um, which was amazing. And then the second one was, um, actually, again, it's, it's like a, there's two events in one, but when we do Apple Takeover, so two years in a row before the pandemic, we did um, the flagship store, Apple, uh, the other box of takeovers for the whole store. And it, it was a really beautiful event, bringing our community together and taking up space in a very um, corporate space <laughs> put it that way um and it was really nice to see my and roshni's face on this massive screen in regent street and then comic garden and both events were really about empowering people how to use technology for good um and that was i think those two those three events have been absolute highlights of my whole career for sure and it's only just started because you've been in lockdown all this time your business has gone through the yes. roof now you've got to you suddenly you're riding a, <clears throat> a much more powerful horse than you were at the beginning of lockdown with everyone one of the things, yeah, one of the things that you touched on earlier, which is really interesting, is how everyone, like me, suddenly looked around for experts yeah. and all the white people in the middle of Black Lives Matter just assumed that all their black friends were an expert on black human rights yeah. and racism. And, um, yeah, we had to be put, a, put right. So you were able to step into that gap, but you had to work at, like, the clappers to be able to meet the demand that's a kind of a high class problem in a way yeah in a business it's interesting but again we were very clear that we are um we can't speak about the black experience but we're very um we have amazing people yeah. in our network who we were able to connect to those kind of opportunities yeah. our work has always focused within anti-racism and anti-oppression as a whole um and so we were able we were able to really kind of support companies on their needs especially when they finally realize that this work needs to be a must-have and not a nice to have um, and I've, you know, I've had the opportunity to work some really amazing companies that I'm so grateful and for that opportunity to do. But again, training isn't this sort of 
the beginning and end like it really is a sort of foundational for you to jump off of and you need to continue to do that work especially if we're trying to create systemic change we can't think of, you know we all we always talk about abstract things it's like the industry the company yeah like, yeah it's made up of human beings it's made up of individuals so we all have this responsibility to do this work and if we can inspire people through our approach and through the work that we do to do this then you know that's what an amazing job that i have it's a great (laughs) attitude um one of one one big takeaway that i took from your training was the idea that the um DEI person, the culture and people head in real work was moved in the pyramid of (laughs) hierarchy to the top now. (laughs) She's like, everyone feeds into that and she's not an HR person. It was very small business. So I do all the HR. We clarify to everyone that it's not HR. It's the other way around. She's not there to manage um, other people and what they get from us she's not there to basically cover our this we have to beep that out sorry um she's there to make sure that i can deliver something in an equitable yeah. way to all the all different people so that was just a really interesting thing that tree of just like taking them out it can't be the hr person and then moving them up so we all go through yeah. that person that was really useful and having someone as well that holds you accountable, because again, like with this work, especially when you get into bigger organizations too, is that it always falls onto the HR, the people teams, or the, you know, the head of DNI. but actually what support are they getting to do this work as well? And again, DEI should be the individual responsibility of everybody who makes up an organization. You know, a, a quote that I kind of say is, um, you're only as strong as your weakest link. So if not everybody's committed to this work, then really how far are you pushing the needle to actually create change as well realistically in the system that we live in most people in big companies have experience at least secondhand maybe firsthand of knowing that the hr department That's it. Is on their side. there is that too there i mean let's be realistic yeah so um yeah getting separating it out from that's got to be a good thing we've run out of time leo um, it's pouring with rain here. Hopefully we'll, the sun will come out. We'll get a rainbow through the window. What are you doing for the rest of the day? Back-to-back meetings. Monday is my meeting day, but um, it's been fun. I'm really glad that we were able to do this. It was great to get your message across loud and clear as always. Thank you. And let's that. meet you IRL at some point and um, get some plant-based um, tacos or something. Amazing. Great. Thank you so much. <laughs> if people want to find out more about the other box, they don't have to be a big company in order to learn from you. Isn't that correct? Yeah, so we welcome individuals as well as um, solo entrepreneurs, as well as people with small businesses, large businesses, whatever. Come to us and we'll see what we can do to help. Great. Thank you for being our guest. Bye, Leah. Thank you, Flair. That's it for today's episode of the Real Work Podcast. Thank you for being with us. This is the part where we remind you to subscribe to the podcast if you haven't already. And Buckers will probably tell me off if I don't ask you to please rate and review on Apple Podcasts because apparently when you do that, our content reaches more listeners. If you're curious about Real Work, the online membership Improving Women's Confidence, Knowledge and Network, head to our website, doreal.work and sign up for our super newsletter, The Real Worker. All the details that you need to connect with us in any way, you'll find in the show notes. 
Well, that was a super podcast. I'm. It's so nice to be back, um, back in the studio recording again after a break and after a very special break because um, I am now an award-winning podcast, the International Women's Podcasting Awards for Entrepreneurial Inspiration. I'm glad it was that one that I won. No. I'm I'm an entrepreneurial inspirer. Do you think I should get a badge made up? Definitely, and a certificate and everything. I hope it's on your LinkedIn. Actually, I don't... I think I need to upload it to my LinkedIn. You do. And also my profile on my... um, You know, my signature on my emails. Yeah, award-winning podcaster. So good. Congratulations. So much. Thank you. It's just a very, very exciting it's a very exciting thing and um yeah the event event looked amazing yeah it was oh do you know what Flo it was such a shame that you weren't able to come because it was probably one of the best awards dues I've ever been to it was so good yeah the just the atmosphere Flo was so it was electric it was just full of all of these amazing inspiring female podcasters it was just such a joy to be involved with. Did you meet new people and everything? Oh, it was it was a networking central, but in like a really not in like a you know annoying way. It was just it all happened very organically. I met this really cool comedian. They had an amazing poet there. Oh, it was just it was it was great and so much prosecco. I wore like a really jazzy outfit. It was so much fun. It was such a shame that you couldn't be there. Yeah. That, um, didn't you have, you had a hotel, you had a hotel booked as well, didn't you? Like a really snazzy one. Yeah, I did. I lost my money on the booking, yeah. Oh, that's and my so kid was ill, so that's what happens. You know, when your kid's ill, you just have to, you know, be the better person. And you and, booked um, your train ticket and everything as well. Yeah, I lost the money on that as well. You, have a, you bought a special, you bought a dress especially for the occasion, didn't you? Listen, I'm glad you felt great in your outfit. And it was really nice of you to step in and, you know, go up and accept the award on my oh, behalf. Yeah. That was on my behalf. Thing. Totally wasn't expecting that. Yeah, that was amazing. Well, when they announced that you'd won, everyone was obviously really excited. And then they just pushed me onto the stage. And there I was just... They pushed like, you. Collecting pushed an you award. Because yeah. I did make a video in advance. I did make an acceptance speech, which I pre-recorded. Yeah, for but some they didn't reason. play that. Yeah, the you got pushed onto the stage. Did you? The message didn't get through that you weren't going to make it. So that's real. It's a real shame. But yeah, it's. Do you know what was really funny? It's almost like they sort of thought I was you when I was collecting it. I think they probably thought that I was actually you. It's so funny. Bizarre. That's. Mm. I'm glad you had a good time. We got a great goodie bag. I've got a candle for you. Candle. And, um, yeah, candle. And um, some little vouchers for things and one a microphone um, and a the really nice trophy that I collected. I'll have to get that down to you at some point. I'm not quite sure when I'll be able to do that, but um, it's really lovely. Keep it. If you want to make a podcast that your audience will adore with the thought of making it yourself, terrifies you to the core then you know who to call producer buckers she knows just what to do producer buckers to make your podcast dreams come true she used to work in radio where she was poorly paid a dab hand and audio 
find producer buckers on instagram at decibel underscore creative or click the link in the show notes come on everyone producer buckers if you want to hire the best producer buckers just put it to the test producer buckers just press record and she's